guys and girls and everybody. This is Lissa Mandel from the Bitch Seat Podcast. As some of you may know, we are a part of the Atlantic Transmission Network, which is a network that puts out all kinds of great podcasts. A great way to support our show and our sister shows is to visit theatlantictransmission.com and click on the Amazon link at the top of the homepage. It's all the same great Amazon stuff at the same great price, but we get a small piece for sending you there. So if you want to keep shows like The Bitch Seat going, keep us happy, then, uh, you know, throw in your pennies. You don't even have to pay anything extra. While this is not a political podcast, it's not a current events podcast, um, the fact that uh, there was a major election surprise, let's say, a couple of weeks ago, and this is our first podcast back since that, I don't want to brush it under the rug, because uh, that's not what we do here. We wear our hearts on our sleeves. And um, it's big kid problems. And, uh, I hope that as you listen to the following podcast, uh, with our guests, you can find the relevance and the ties between the struggles and confusions of childhood and adolescence and what we're going through now, and hopefully be able to apply the sincerity and vulnerability and emotional, um, upheavals of childhood to what we're feeling now in a relevant way. And uh, I want to introduce Phil. He's here, too. Hey. And uh, Phil, um, was there ever a time in your childhood when you were really expecting something specific and then the rug got pulled out from under you and you got exactly the opposite of that? Um, I feel like I've, I've mentioned I've, – I've talked about it before, the Footloose episode uh, oh. in which I auditioned, auditioned, auditioned for the Reverend from September to December when the auditions actually happened. How old were you? I was 17 and I got, I was 18 and I got cast as Chuck Cranston, the shitty secondary villain who punches the lead and then disappears for the rest of the show. Ugh, rude. But did rude. you take that Chuck Cranston and make it <clears throat> really special? I did actually. I lost 20 pounds. I worked, I worked out to the point where I could do one armed pushups and I did them on stage. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. Was that part of the choreography, or did you just throw it in? I for just good threw measure? it in because I'll do whatever the fuck I want. I'm Phil Casale, and um, that was the route I took. In adversity, when the chips are down, I'll let it affect me. It always will. I'll always feel like a piece of shit for the first four days of anything. But at the end of the day, I can only scream, "Fuck you!" I'm Phil Casale. As loud as I can over my detractors. That's the only thing I can do. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. Oh no, I was. I, I I agree. I mean, I think it's very important for anybody struggling, no matter what age you are, but especially if you are a grown up right now and feeling all kinds of feelings about uh, the political environment, the socioeconomic environment. What is your outlet? Find an outlet because it is when we don't have an outlet or a channel for those feelings that that unwellness kind of takes over. Yeah. And I don't know. I personally have been having a hard time finding a good outlet for it because I I have never been so politically motivated or even radicalized or felt so much like my daily actions are actually really important right now to the future of the country. I used to kind of think as a comedian, well, it's okay if I sort of exist on the edges and I talk about my personal struggles, but it's not really woven into the fabric of society. And I suddenly feel like many people who feel like that have been thrust into the fabric of society and realize that the actions that they take on a daily basis could have an effect. Yeah, Do you know, I think I we've understand. been taking it for granted. Well, I was going to continue. Um, there was another instance when we, in my town, uh, there were, there was a heavy Republican base in it and a, a small, but strong democratic base. And for a time, my father was sort of in an alliance with the Democrat 
sort of side. And through that, there was a concentrated focus on the arts, on television. We had a public access station, and I was one of the three kids that showed up to the station to actually do anything. Mm -hmm. And I really was passionate about having my own show and um, doing what I liked and trying to push um, just for more live broadcast because I thought that that was how I was going to make it. Nutley public access. Mm -hmm. So the election happens that year. Which election is this? This was... It wasn't a presidential. It was a mayoral, mm-hmm. mayoral commissioner. How old were you? About 16, 17. Okay. And the Democrats got swept. Mm-hmm. Republicans took over. And immediately, the Parks and Recreation Building was no longer my playground. The TV station was gutted. They got rid of it. Wow. So... It was devastation. It was devastation. It was... Because... Yeah, because your outlook got taken away. My outlook got taken away. I mean... You know, I was upset, but everybody was like, but think about how the people who lost office and think about other people, think about everything around you. I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay, whatever. But, 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 but my television, um, eventually that next year, all the equipment got moved into the high school and I got to have my cake, but it wasn't without a lot of contention that we were able to continue to do what we wanted to do. And I was a part of the first live broadcast in Nutley history, um, that's the truth. But it was because I didn't forget. Just because my people lost, I didn't, I wasn't, I was upset. I was very upset. But you took action. I took action. And, and that's what I was going to get to. I mean, it's not, it wasn't just because I'll persevere because white privilege. It was because you can't forget what makes you happy. And you can't forget what you're fighting for. Even if in times like this, it feels like what makes you happy seems selfish, frivolous, uh, trivial, uh, completely unhelpful or unrelated to the great movement of time marching forward, uh, which it kind of, it kind of does, you know, I, I kind of, I wonder about my individual relevance, but I think it's also a part of, I think it's a rite of passage. I, I think that I took for granted the fact that I'm still growing up, and so are you, and so are we all. And also, it's really scary to be a grown-up and realize that nobody's in charge. Yes. And um, to all my friends who sort of deride my anxieties because... I have a little bit of an alarmist point of view. It's not an alarmist point of view. That's just what they call it. That's what I was getting at. I think that is immature. And I think you need people who are afraid to speak up and say, hey, I'm afraid. I don't feel represented right now. And I don't feel the person in charge is doing enough to calm me down and the rest of the country, right. the rest of my people. So the best we can do is continue to raise our voices. And if you need to take a time out and go raise your voice in a private way by screaming into your pillow, that's important also. I recommend an I love my pillow, not a my pillow. It's very dense. Oh, yes. We have an I love my pillow now, which we took from my parents' house on second Thanksgiving. It's not my... We're not giving that to any guests. Oh, no, no. That's my <laughs> pillow. But uh, it's not the My Pillow from it's an the I love my infomercials pillow. that you see. It's an I Love My Pillow, so it's a ripoff of the My Pillow. It's the VR Troopers of the Power Rangers <laughs> toys. It's not. But guess what? It's a great pillow, and uh, and let's all take some panic naps. And then Together. once we're done taking panic naps, let's get to work. Let's get up and get to work. Okay. That's it. Good. Hey, what's your? Uh, are we reading from? Uh, what's that? What's that diary right there? You got? Uh, it is satin too. Satin 2 starring Christy Swanson? Yes. All right. Hello, Satin 2. I'm back. Though I'm weighed down with drowsiness and my head and heart are heavy with overwhelming depression, my soul pushed me to turn the key and write some thoughts. Uh, this is what, 6th grade? I think this is 6th grade. Maybe 7th. You were in 7th. I was in 6th. First of all, my ESP list is now longer. And listeners, for those of you who don't know, I kept a running tally of moments when I psychically, I had a psychic moment 
and they're all numbered throughout all the journals, so this is number five. In Spanish class, Mrs. Mitchell was picking verbs out of the air. Hmm, she said, which verb should I use? All of a sudden, the word nadar, to swim, appeared in my mind. How about nadar? were the next words out of Mrs. Mitchell's mouth. Number six, English class. We were reading a chapter out of a novel. Mrs. Griffith was randomly choosing people to read aloud. Hmm, I wondered, who will she pick next? Maybe Pat. Or no, maybe Beth. Mrs. Griffith next asked Pat to read. And when he was done, she called on Beth. <laughs> and and then that's it. That's all I say about that. Since I think of each entry in this diary as a piece of my past, a masterpiece within itself, I feel a need to elaborate. However, since I haven't written in a month, there is obviously too much to talk about that I could give details about. I shall have to choose just a few events. My dance recital is May 5th, merely two weeks away, and I can already see the school in my mind, can hear the clapping of the audience, can feel the passionate, exploding joy of performing echoing through my body and soul. I look forward to it and think about it every day. Seeing as school is slowly but surely drawing to a close, my anxiety is building. I did have a tough year, toughest one yet, but as usual, I've again grown attached to my team. A third school family, Team 7-1. I've made some wonderful friends this year, peers as well as adults. To tell you the truth, and to say the least, I am afraid. Afraid of the depression that will pain me more than anything on the last day of school, as it always does. I can't stop it from coming. It's like an incurable disease. Uh, ding, 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 it is an incurable disease. It comes and goes as it pleases, but I can always count on that depression to come after every big event. It will come after the recital, and it will come after the final day of school. Oh, I hope the depression doesn't strike too hard. And what of Cashin? Oh, I still like him, a lot, in fact. But what of next year? Will he be on my team, or will I only see him with luck once or twice a day? I've fallen for him, head over heels. However, his mother is a teacher in Guilford and probably has a knack for picking good teams. And, of course, we'll ask Linda Steller for whatever team she thinks is best. That is so fucking random. This is a, this is a mother. This is a really pushy mother of one of, a friend of mine who stuck her nose in everybody's business. And uh, There's yeah. always at least five. Yeah, I, at least. Maybe Cashin and I do have a chance for being on the same team. Jeez, I sure hope so. I would like to go on and on, but it's 11 p.m. Time to let sleep pick me up and carry me into a peaceful world. Pleasant dreams. Very uh, mirroring of what's going on right now, the encroaching depression and, 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 and fear. Oh, it and encroached already, on. though. It encroached already. Yeah, I know. But you're already talking about it getting worse in your, in your journal. Who, so how was she, how was this woman uh, in, the, in everybody's... Business. Well, she was a Girl Scout troop leader, first of all. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I, and then, uh, I mean, she was she had a really, really sweet um, demeanor about her, and she was always very sweet, but it was like a little bit saccharine sweet. But that that's like a lot of small town moms, yeah. as you know. Yeah. Um, but I guess she had the finger, her finger on the pulse of uh, what, you know, she was a PTA mom. You yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I know those moms. Yeah, 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 there yeah, was, yeah. Plenty of those where, where I came from. Yeah. But, uh, and they all worked like backstage at, during the, uh, during oh, the musicals. The stage moms during the dance oh, recitals yeah. were, and they would, when they would do a French braid, they would pull it so, so tight. They would give us all headaches, but they, they were perfect French braids. I had, I had one mother, um, spray. Cause like she went overboard with my makeup and she sprayed my, my hair and hit the mic that I was like rigged in my hair. And my mic was dead for the show. <laughs> she did it. She did it. And that day. See, there's another example of you being, your voice being silenced by adults who think they know better, yep. but really they don't. Well, that's like my history with, with going to the doctor. Every time I'd go, I'd have an issue. And but my mom would call ahead and tell them to look at something else. And then I'd get sick for the issue that I was asking about. And the doctor was not looking for it because, you know, you know apparently my mother is the patient, not me. I'm just, uh, I'm just a, a host that they have to sit down and correct. Yeah. So, so. it's very timely. Yeah. Listeners, yeah. Phil and I are about to uh, drive west uh, and, um, and strike out for our own selves without the grown-ups that have been um, very close by for our whole lives. There's no doctor... Uh, in California that my parents can call and tell to correct anything 
uh, and during the physical. So that's right. You're going to have to find your own doctor. That's true. Very exciting. It's pretty good. But anyway, speaking of big changes and depressions that come at the end of things, <laughs> yeah. I feel like we are at the end of a big thing. Are you okay? Here's the thing. This is getting. I'm. I'm it's not annoying me. I just have to say it. You're, 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 you're so sad. Why? Like we're doing a show to entertain people and edutain, edutain. We don't have to, this, this doesn't have to be so maudlin. It doesn't have to be right. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But I, I prefer instance when I'm a listener and I am a lot and there are many podcasts that I enjoy. Um, I listen to feel some like salve about whatever the latest issue is. You know what I mean? I don't brush it under the rug and listen to, but this is the difference between I us. I listen to old time radio detective shows. Right. This is the difference between I, us. And, and also the nerdist where apparently nothing happens outside except for the celebrity. So like, you know, well, it's, it's okay. Like whether I like it or not, I am now politicized and radicalized and I feel a little bit like a revolutionary and guess what? It's my job. How? Okay. It's my job as a comedian and a truth teller to tell the truth about what is going on right now. Not what was going on at some other time in the past that's no longer relevant. But that's what we're doing. That's what the show's about. <laughs> I'm trying to bring the past to the present. Do you see right. what I'm saying? Yes. I have to ask Kent whether we should start over because this is too bad. This is good. Kent says no. Okay. Well, if we've lost you already, listeners, then we've lost you already. And if you're still here... We love you even more, and we have a great guest that we're going to talk to, because this isn't even about us. It's about the guests, and our guest today is a comedian and a writer and a teacher and just an adorable, just perfect little roundy-faced ray of sunshine, and uh, her name is Joanna Shaw Flam. So we see a picnic blanket and a big field. There are daisies all around it, and they're not just regular daisies. They have like little faces in them with sunglasses on, and they're like they're doing the, they're, like, the they're doing the head to the beat. And Joanna's on the picnic blanket on her stomach with her her feet kicked up in the air, and she's listening to her Walkman. It's a uh, it's a yellow Walkman. It's a yellow Walkman. And she's wearing a yellow shirt, and she's having a great day. Hi, Joanna. Hi. <laughs> that was so accurate. Oh, yeah? Was that you? No. no. <laughs> I can't be in the sun. <laughs> I'm a colored the color of paper. Yeah, but I have to hide from that ball of gas. <sighs> but you are the sun. Oh, stuff. It's radiating out of your face. <laughs> Thank you. Did you have any, uh, did you have any uh, PTA moms or dance moms or other kind of, like, hovering moms so yes so not my mom uh but i did dance and i was on the dance team in high school and i i think about this all the time as i get older and look towards a future where i am a mom uh but a lot of the moms on the dance team so the dance team got sweatshirts mm -hmm. that had for some reason ballet shoes on the front even though we did not do ballet and then, well, that was the closest dance thing yeah, they could find. There are not a lot of dance logos <laughs> in the sweatshirt factory. And then the back, we all had our names on the on the hoodies. And some of the moms got matching hoodies that said like Christy's mom or like Jen's mom. Yeah. And I was like, Mom, do you want a sweatshirt? And she was like, No. <laughs> and she said, I love you and I love what you do, but I don't need to live my life through your activities. Wow. And I was like, What? What? Uh, <laughs> your mom was the best. Yeah, she was pretty cool about, like, boundaries. And, she, like, she, later she didn't friend me on Facebook until, like, I was ready. Because she said, I just think there are some things that parents and kids should keep private. And I was wow. like, wow, oh, you're the best. She wow. is. Absolutely. So not my mom, but I was definitely around those pushy moms. Yeah, and you were like, "Geez, pushy moms. That does not. Ha that's not how it has to be." Yeah, and it must have stood in broader contrast compared to your mother. Uh, yeah, but now, like looking back, I'm like, <laughs> like, are we too hard on pushy moms? Like, so I I worked in <laughs> Jersey City um, with kids for several years, and so I there were a lot of older moms who had kids when they were older and like before that had had like super high powered banking careers mm -hmm. and then had left to like, you know, finally have their kid, but and, they like, brought the banking mentality yeah, manage their child as if they were an employee. Right. Right. Um, or like, uh, um, you know, uh, an account that they had to like 
make do as well as possible. Yeah. And, uh, and I feel for those women because like when you take away the banking job, what do you have? Like you have your like French braid that you are going to make the best French no, braid exactly. ever. Exactly. Cause you have no outlet. Yeah, exactly. And then the child becomes the outlet. What I'm saying is it's the patriarchy <laughs> that gives us dance moms. Yeah. Are you, um, are you an only child? No, I have a younger sister who is two years and three weeks younger. And were you really close uh, friends or did you manage her? Oh, both. <laughs> no, uh, it's so close is sort of, it's hard for me to like, we got along really well, but we didn't tell a lot of like personal secrets. I think as we've gotten older, we've become more like friends, friends, mm-hmm. but I definitely thought of myself as like her older sister, not as her friend. Right. But we did a lot of stuff together. So. So you were nice. Yeah. You were nice to her. I think I was. She can remember all sorts of lies I told her. <laughs> like, just endless lies. Well, it's fun because it's like you have a little doll. And yeah. you can tell them anything that oh, you yeah. want. And they we can would, actually respond. We would sing along to all of the Disney tracks. And I would demand to be given all of the lead parts. <laughs> and she would have to be Zazu. <laughs> or, like, whoever the equivalent of Zazu was. Yeah, of course. Which of she course. took without complaining. Uh, see, uh, I, that's one, that's one good thing I think about having a younger sibling who is your same gender. Mm. I had a little brother and he, I mean, he's, I was really bossy to him apparently. I don't remember, but apparently I was real mean. We're very close now, (laughs) but, um, he was into like boy things and power rangers and stuff. And I was not interested, you know, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but I did have, I think that I always became the beta when my girlfriends came over because I was just wanted to please people. Sure. And so when Leah, who was the rabbi's daughter, came over, very strong-willed young lady, and we had the dress-up box, and she would always get to wear the pink leotard, even though it was my dress-up box in my house. I Mm. would cave to her. I feel like we all have that friend, though. Yeah. Who, like, comes in and sort of, like, steamrolls our lives. It's an important friend. Because then you understand your own boundaries and, like, what flies and what doesn't. And that's, like, your aspirational friend, too, I feel like. Like, that's the... Yeah. Yeah. Like, everyone needs a friend. or I don't know if they need it, but we all (laughs) seem to have them. Yeah. It's like, uh, I'm just, like, lucky that they even hang out with me because they're cooler than me. (laughs) Uh, They treat me really badly. I have to think about that. But we didn't didn't realize that until even later. Yeah. I had, like... I find now my friends are on a scale of Larry David and uh, Larry and and his friend, which is awful because I'm now forgetting and I watch that show incessantly. Uh, his manager, uh, Jeff Jeff Garland. It's Larry David Jeff Garland. That's our friend. Like my friendship with Mike at home is my best friend. Uh, he's Larry. I'm Jeff. My friendship with Scott Cagney, my college best friend. He's Jeff, I'm Larry. But it, the dynamic shifts because some, someone takes more control in a friendship or, or somebody's a little bit louder and the other person's kind of the straight man or the, the more rational-minded person. And, and that's what happens, I guess, when you, when you weed out the ones that aren't. So, uh, and I, but I feel like, you know, uh, when you're younger, you don't, really, you don't really think about those things. You just kind of fall into the same role over and over and over again. And that's why these amazing, like, life shifts that happen, like when you go to summer camp for the first time um and you're like i can reinvent myself yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. um it's like westworld you could be someone you're not or who you really are listen we're all okay i think we're all hosts anthony hopkins is god and that's all i'm gonna say about westworld have you watched westworld yet? no okay that's enough i don't want to spoil anybody but you should all watch it but we are all hosts you know in, in our lives because we all have the same narratives Anyway, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's yeah, continue. we're not going to. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. But um, Joanna, yes, uh, tell me what treasure that you brought to share with us today. Okay, so uh, you need a little background on this because mm-hmm. it might affect how you talk about the people who are involved in the story. Okay, so the first thing you need to know is that I am married to my high school boyfriend. Oh, adorable. Yes. It was not on purpose, but it did. <laughs> you accidentally woke up and was like, oh no. Uh, no, I just mean that we weren't um, like from a background where that was a, a goal. Right. Like I wasn't dating someone in high school with the goal of marrying them. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Minnesota, but I grew up in St. Paul, which is the capital. So it's like, you know. And it's urban. It's urban. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is, but like even to say that. 
I feel like I have to check myself. It's a urban bit. for Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so, and I went to public school and all that stuff. Um, and so I wasn't intending to marry my high school boyfriend, but it just happened. Um, so that's the background. So, um, said high school boyfriend, uh, was a computer nerd and he had an online, I guess a, a website I guess you'd call it a website, uh, called Magnum Opus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a place for, uh, all of our nerdy friends to share their artwork. Um, so poetry, photography, painting, whatever you could like upload it. And ha- at what age? This was in high school. So I was oh like gosh. 16, 17. Is this, is this still up? Is that website still up? It is not. <sighs> It got taken over by Russian hackers. <laughs> Shut oh. up! They <laughs> ruined the, everything. But the archives exist, which is where today's artifact comes from. Uh, oh my gosh. So, and it became like a huge, it was sort of my first like online social circle because there was also a forum uh, where like mostly people we knew, although from like a couple different local high schools, would like hang out all the time. And we Mm -hmm. had, like, all these, like, forum jokes. And, like, it was a big place that I interacted with my boyfriend at the time, even though we went to school together, but he was a year older. So. But it was all online? Yes. It was all online. It was all text-based. And none of it, like, it wasn't, like, a chat. It was, like, you wrote a post. And then you, like, came back later to see if someone, like, commented on your post. Nice. And stuff like that. Uh, So it had this, like, big social element. But also, it had this element of, like, sharing your work, which, to a narcissistic teenage would-be artist like me, was, like, the ultimate Oh, absolutely. I wish I had a vehicle like that. It's like a, it's like a, uh, an interactive literary journal. Yes, and it was also, like, a precursor to, like, uh, live journal or even, like, Instagram. Mm -hmm. It was like, here, see this part of me. And other people could be like, yay, I like a part of you. (laughs) You can be like, yes, I exist. Yep, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was very active on the forum, but I joined it after we had started dating. Um, and then, so said boyfriend was a year older, which meant he was leaving for college. Mm-hmm. And I, he was going away for school. And I had very maturely said, you need to decide whether you want us to stay together or break up when you leave for school because like nothing's changing for me. But right, you're having a new experience. Like it needs to be on you, kind of. You were a grown up before you were a grown up. Yeah, yeah. He was not, <laughs> and so he waited until two days before he left to tell me he wanted to break up. Oh God! And I was heartbroken. Yeah, heartbroken. Uh, and like walked around my neighborhood like open mouth crying, like <laughs> just. The most dramatic I've ever been in my entire life, and I went to school for drama. Uh, yeah. It was just awful. And it was like he died because he just, like, disappeared. Left. He left. So it was and like he, he wasn't was in your life anymore. Right. And uh, it was before Facebook, so I couldn't, like, creep him on Facebook and be like, oh, he's still alive. I wonder if he has friends. It's for the better that, that you didn't have Facebook at that time. Yeah. It was really sad, though. Uh, he's going to hate that I'm telling all this, because... No, but it has a happy ending. We know. It does, yes. Uh, so, the reason this particular piece of writing is so embarrassing is it is a poem I wrote about our breakup and how sad I was mm-hmm. that I posted on his website <laughs> knowing he would read it. Yep. Oh, man. And knowing that my friends would also read it. See, that's essentially Facebook, though. It was totally vague booking, except it was like, here, let me hand you a thing that I'm going to make you post. Yeah, this is a private conversation between between me, you, and all of our yeah. friends. Everyone we know. Yeah. Yes, You exactly. guys had the unfiltered, pure Facebook before yeah. it was like a real thing. So Kind this, of, yeah. This is one of the drawbacks is that everybody gets to say it and see it, but everybody has to see it. So I want to hear it, and then I want to talk about the reaction to it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so how many days out of the breakup was this i think we were broken up for three or four weeks total so i'm not sure exactly when it was probably like two weeks in regardless it was going to be fresh because three or four weeks is not a long yeah time. No. especially when you're 17 yeah uh yeah so all right let's do it okay <clears throat> this poem has no title it also doesn't rhyme <laughs> but there are pretentious line breaks <laughs> I remember waking early in the morning 
sitting in a big chair just staring out the window into my street. It was the emptiness that hurt so much, like everything in me had drained out with the tears and I was left with two sunken eyes and a pit in my stomach. As I stared out into the tree across the street, I wondered how I could ever feel beautiful and alive like that again. I rocked and rocked to make up for my unusually stagnant soul. <laughs> I let my eyes roam the quiet street in hopes that my mind would find something new to latch onto, but the same thought just ran over and over without image or sound other than my own dull voice. Gone. Done. Gone. Done. With the rocking of my chair and the swaying of the tree, the words rang out like somber bells and echoed in the emptiness I'd suddenly become. I didn't think I had any tears left until someone appeared and asked, How are you? Oh, oh God. So many feels. Oh, oh man. But that's really beautiful. Oh, so I also... Don't encourage her. No, I have a, I have a real soft spot for... Poems that end in a question. Oh, especially from someone who appeared. Ugh, oh, no one gosh. appeared. So, but like, I love it and it's beautiful and it's, and it's actually really subtle. It's dramatic. Yeah. But it's yeah. actually really subtle because it's not, doesn't mention any names. It just talks about the emptiness. By yeah. the way, this reminds me, I don't know if you listened to Fiona Apple when you were younger. Um, hello. Okay. <laughs> um, turns out that she she wrote um, title the al- you know the first mm-hmm. album when she was nineteen. Yeah, people and, like that are infuriating. Oh my god! Well, I know. I thought I was gonna be. I thought I was gonna be that people, but of then course, I wasn't. I was sure yeah. I was. But yeah. but I think this is beautiful poetry. But I want to hear what your future husband. What is his name? Matt. Matt. What did Matt? How did Matt react? So I thought he might take it down. Like, that he might not let it... Oh, he was the overall admin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In charge. I mean, he, like, programmed and, like, created oh, the I whole thing. I chicken with, with so, the admin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I knew he was going to see it no matter what happened. And, like, really, that was the point. Uh, so, but he said nothing and posted it and did not comment at all. But I remember my friends being, like, very sympathetic in response. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know that it was directly related but within like the next couple weeks, he instant messaged me and asked if he could call me. And I said, yes, we had a phone conversation where he said he wanted to get back together. What had changed? Uh, he'd gotten to college and realized that nothing there was better than me. Uh-huh. Snap. Uh, <laughs> and my mom said, I'm sure that he means it. But you should know that, like, this is the time in the freshman year of college where people start to get homesick, and I don't want you to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Your mom is you know? very wise. She was, cor- she was correct, but I'm glad I ignored her because now we're married. So, did you never have any more breakups after that? We almost broke up when he was leaving for study abroad in Paris. I think just because he was freaked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we almost, there's a theme to these. It's like when we're about to like reach another level of the relationship, he panics. Yeah. Uh, and so we almost broke up when he went to study abroad in college and we almost broke up when I was about to finish school in New York and he had already finished school and was at home. And the question was like, is he moving to New York or not? Right. And, uh, in all of those cases, I was basically like, look, I'm in, but like, this is what I'm doing with my life. And like, you can get on the train or not. Oh, good for you. Uh, except I, then I, I was like, <laughs> please get on the train. I, yeah, I think we understand that, uh, was this Thursday dinner, dinner again? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of, um, crazy to think about because I was like really super in love. Uh, and like, you know, we were long distance all through college and that was really hard. Although there were good things about it too, but like I was super in love and I really wanted to stay together, but never at the expense of like what I thought my life was supposed to be. I think that's amazing. It sounds like you, you popped out of the womb, like a fully realized evolved adult (laughs) as a baby. I was like, (laughs) you're, I need to, you know, fulfill myself. Yeah. Well, Um, yeah, you, uh, you already, you were like, my career comes first and 
Yeah. And obviously it's worked because I'm very famous. So <laughs> you're famous in my world. The lesson is, well, so it's funny because, uh, you know, when it talks to, uh, when you talk about comparing yourself to other people, yeah. which I do all the time, uh-huh. uh, everyone ignores their greatest strength and discounts it. Uh, so the thing that other people are jealous of about you is the thing you are most likely to ignore completely and not count as an accomplishment. Uh, but I hmm. recommend having a sister who's two years younger and much more successful in her career, uh, because, uh, <laughs> I was saying something about it and she was like, if you're married by the time you're 30, you don't get to complain about anything. Oh, I was so like, you don't even think oh. about that. Oh yeah. I guess to <laughs> some other people. <laughs> The fact that I'm, like, married and in a yeah. successful relationship is an accomplishment? I know. It's easy to discount it, especially when you're an ambitious person and you're yeah. like, well, I, okay, I've taken care of that, but now on to the next yeah. thing that's a failure right now. So many people spend their lives with their brains on fire not knowing, like, how to make themselves happy or, like, how to make other people happy. Well, I mean, that's the second part. But My brain mm-hmm. is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but for other reasons. <laughs> and it's, it's like a... Uh, it's like a, a and a burnt orange, like a very like a cartoon fire, like a cartoon Disney fire. It's a pretty fire. It's a pretty fire. I jump into it because it wouldn't burn. It would feel like it would feel. No, nice. it would burn, but you would feel so good as you were dying. Yeah. Wow. It'd be a nice, nice <laughs> I feel burn. like I'm jumping in the middle of like a really intense. This is how we role play. This is how it happens sometimes on the bitch seat. We've I guess had on the mountain? The I don't know. <laughs> I mean, We're meeting at the top of you. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> 16-year-old Joanna is not prepared for this. Um, so, <clears throat> aside from your relationship, which turned out to be wildly successful, and, uh, and, I, and I'm not going to ask you about about uh, the personal question of whether you've only had sex with one person in your life. You don't have to answer it here. Uh, let's say I was 16 when we got together and a huge nerd. So you can put it together. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, uh, but like, what else were you? So you were a drama, you were a drama kid. Yes. And were you a really excellent student? Were you? Yeah. A I was like a, totally. Yeah. But also it wasn't that hard. Like, not to brag, but, uh, but like, you know, school was very easy for me. And so it was a place where I got a lot of positive reinforcement. Oh yeah. You're preaching to the choir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, always like did really well in school. Um, I wasn't, I've been recently trying to like reassess my vision of who I was in high school Uh huh. because the more people, especially comedians I talk to, I'm like, Oh, everyone thinks that they were the awkward person and that just can't be real. Because they're, it just like the math doesn't check out, right? So well, you know, I I think about that too because I mean, I know the the term echo chamber has been flying around a lot lately <laughs> for other reasons, but I as a comedian among other comedians, we really are among all the people who are uh, self proclaimed misfits. That's definitely right? true. But have you ever read an interview with a celebrity who is definitely not a misfit? They're like super hot, very sexy. And they're like, I don't know. I was awkward in school and I didn't, you know, or the, like, I sort of hung out with all the cliques. Like, well, those people I don't trust at all. <laughs> uh, well, the point is that I've been like trying to reassess who I actually was versus who I felt I was. And that's not to discount who we all felt we were. Sure. Because feelings are real. Uh, but like, I always felt like I was sort of like the nerdy one, but like, I always had friends. I was on the varsity dance team for four years of high school. I was the prom queen. What? Like, oh, you, yeah. It was a revenge of the nerds situation, but like the tiara doesn't lie. Wait a second. It was a revenge of the nerds situation? So in that literally nerds were having revenge. So, so there were enough nerds to outvote yes. the popular people. So what usually happened, wow. feel the burn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what usually happened, uh, was that like the popular people would decide whose turn it was for all, like for homecoming queen or like, but those guys. senior prom, they, no one was willing to like give it up to someone else. And so it was sort of like, uh, the Republican primary. <laughs> uh, and so, but my sister who was two years younger was on the math team and all of the senior math team guys had sophomore math team dates. And so my sister and all her friends were at my senior prom and all voted for me. 
<gasps> as did all like and then it's like so our tally was like you could see how people were voting because it was just people making hash marks on yeah. a legal pad <laughs> so then it's like once you start like once people are like oh they could actually win you know they got so, on board yeah see, so this it was is, me and the quarterback of the football team <laughs> That's did you amazing. have to, did you have a slow dance together? Yes, we did. Was it really awkward? Did he make eye contact or refuse? Uh, he did. He was very nice about it. But we did like after one minute, I was like, "Do we have to keep doing this?" And he was like, "I don't think so." And then we just <laughs> walked away. Wow! And I was like, "Do I get like... to keep the crown though?" And <laughs> what kind of crown was it? It was like a a nice tiara. I mean, it wasn't nice, but it was a tiara that I do still have. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> On future episode of the bitch seat, <laughs> when I just bring my tiara yes. and we talk about it. Yes, yes. 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 Oh, that, but that's, you won. I mean, like, yeah, so I've had to reassess a little bit. I know what you mean. And I, I think that especially as comedians, performers, writers, we are people who overvalue the big feelings that we had. And we're people who overvalue the loneliness and the melancholy because we find it beautiful. Like it's not because we are sad sacks, but because we find those moments really poignant, you know? And so we want to hold them up, you know, which I understand. Um, but it's, it's equal parts disappointing and relieving to find out that other people were also in that place. And Mm -hmm. I remember like the first few Mm -hmm. times I read my diary on stage to people, um, and they were things that I was like, I can't believe I'm reading this out loud. Like I was so over the top and ridiculous and people would inevitably approach me afterward and say, Oh my gosh, I felt the same way. Like you wrote it better. I wasn't as good or, you know, I couldn't put it into words or I didn't write it down, but I felt the same way. And so you're right. It's like, if enough people felt the same way, we were all feeling that same way. But we, but we weren't feeling it together. Totally. The, the, you're the, right. The, you're the right. The comedy scene is the awkward people Olympics here because we <laughs> all amassed from all over the world to one place to, and we all came here, you know, by yeah, we, were all, we all came here looking because, for our people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. And having said that, there's a certain context for why you're a prom, you're, you were the prom queen. Right. Exactly. And you beat the system. Like I, that's a triumph. Right. Oh, it's a nerd. beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, yeah. That's, that's terrific. Terrific. Thanks guys. Yeah. Um, it's been downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I always wonder if I peaked in high school, if I blew my load. That so has occurred to me also. Yeah. I don't know if I peaked in high school, but it definitely was two years ago. <laughs> what? That you when finished I, high school? No, that I peaked. <laughs> it's definitely going downhill. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, that's all I'm aware. Yeah. The, the velocity. Well, one thing, so I was thinking about like why it was so mortifying for me to read this. Yeah. And I think part of it is that it's not that the feelings were wrong. It's that they're right. And to feel that intensely is embarrassing. Like, because uh, as adults, we sort of like, you know, we start to block off some of those. Yeah. We socialize. We socialize and we also rationalize. So like, okay, like this is just your high school boyfriend. You were only together for eight months. Like, it's not a good idea. Yep. Just I would like to say PSA, it's not a good idea to stay together with your high school boyfriend or girlfriend when you go off to college. Don't recommend it. Mm-hmm. Seen a lot of people spend a lot of time being very sad because mm-hmm. they made that choice. Yeah, because you're going to get their people are going to experiment. They're going to get brokenhearted anyway. And right, but like the, you know, the the embarrassing amount of feeling that was in this poem is what I felt, and uh, like that's what is sort of cringy to read it as an adult. Is that it's like, oh, uh, like I was so honest about how I felt. I know, but that's so beautiful and important. And, and I think that a lot of adults, uh, you know, if an adult read that and thought that it was written by an adult, they'd be like, oh, I understand that that's grief. You know, I understand what that yeah. is. But it's like, for some reason, there's something in our heads to make us think that whatever feelings that we have when we're younger than a certain age are not real. Yeah. You know, they're just, they're just hormones. They're mm-hmm. just fluff. They're not real. And they're discounted. Yeah. If we discount every feeling that's related to hormones, there are no more feelings. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And also I imagine, well, I think you're my age. Yeah. What year did you graduate? 31. Right. So I'm, I just turned 34. Oh my God. Um, but we grew up, you know, in the nineties and it was not cool to to show feelings. That was like the grunge era, you know, that's Nirvana. It's, it was very dark. Everything was very ironic. Thanks Alanis Morissette. And so, but not really ironic. 
Right. I mean, right. I mean, yeah. the term became overused, but sincerity was extremely unpopular. I mean, I think sincerity among children is always unpopular because it's like you're showing your vulnerability. You're show- and, right. and people it's think like, that's weakness. Totally. So it's not until that you get older and people are like, oh, showing that vulnerability is actually strength because it's hard to do. It's hard totally. to do. Well, I had a mentor in college who passed away at the beginning of the year, um, who, uh, Liz Suedos is who it was. And she, uh, was like a downtown theater director and like did all this amazing work. And she, one of her philosophies was like, always be on the side of the young, like Mm. whatever you do, align yourself with young people because, and I think it was partly because of that thing. It's like, it's, you know, young people feel passionately and they're willing to like, expose their tender underbelly because they either don't know that like that is dangerous or can't help it because yeah, yeah. they haven't been told to stop totally and um the older i get and the less i identify as being a young person the more valuable i find that piece of advice absolutely because it's just like if you're like if you're ever wondering if you're on the right side of stuff it's just like check in with some people under 18 i completely agree with yeah. that i completely agree i mean across the board and uh, and i think that progress is going to happen regardless. The future is going to happen. Evolution is going to happen. So you can either, you know, be the be principal Strickland or <laughs> or Doc Brown. Yeah, you can either mm-hmm. go with the flow of the progress, or you can cling tightly with your white knuckles to the past. But either way, the tidal wave of the future is coming. Yeah. And are you gonna? You're gonna. Yeah. But I think that's also part of our responsibility as adults, because those young people, um, without adults to tell them that they're right, or at least that the core of what they're feeling is right, even if the way they express it is not so good, because um, kids make terrible decisions. We yeah. should just say that. It's not that kids are perfect. Well, their brains aren't fully formed in terms right. of like the exactly. logical aspect. Right. Um, but there have to be adults who can say to those young people, like, hey, this thing you're feeling is correct. Um, stick with that. Like hold tight to that thing as you get older, because everything else in your life is going to tell you to let it go. And instead, like you have to hold on to it Mm -hmm. because you need someone who's like made it to the next phase. Who's like, you can do it and still be this thing. And that's why I think like, you know, kids or people have such intense, um, like affection for their like drama teachers or their voice teachers or like whoever the adult was in their life who was like, who encouraged their creativity. Right. And was like, you can still be this when you're an adult. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Agreed. Thanks Dr. Grace. Uh, well, um, do you, Joanna, uh, why don't you tell the people, uh, about your podcast and how they sure. can find you? Uh, so my podcast is called just one more with Joanna and Daphne. It's a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome, which is the best tagline. <laughs> I am definitely a normal person. And my co-host Daphne is a personal trainer and a fitness counselor, uh, or fit- nutrition counselor. Um, and we talk about, uh, all the like health and wellness and stuff, um, without focusing on losing weight or being skinny. And in fact, talking about like why society is like, you know, screwing with our minds. Mm-hmm. That's cause they want our money. That's uh, right. And so, uh, Daphne can say like, here's how your body actually works and here's what science does. And I can be like, cool. I'm never going to do that. What's the 50% version. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you can find us at, uh, just one more podcast.com. <laughs> Uh, or on any of your favorite um, podcasting things. It's a definite subscription. I know. That is, that's <laughs> amazing. I know. I know. I need the 50% version. And uh, and you're also an improviser on Gypsy Danger. That's yeah. right. You can see us every Saturday at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater in New York City. And Gypsy Danger is epic. You should definitely see them while, Absolutely. They're, while they're continue to be around. Before what, everybody. Have you heard something? No, I just <laughs> assume that eventually everybody's moving to L.A. So before that happens, you know. Wishful um, thinking on our part. It is. It is. Well, um, I have a gift for you. <gasps> What? Um, I always have a gift for my guests. It's, oh my it's a piece of ephemera from my childhood bedroom. That means it's worth literally nothing. I can't wait. Um, for now. Right. Well, no, it's not that. Uh, but um, this is really silly. So I collected a, a lot of things that uh, were useless, but to me had some kind of, some kind of uh, value and sure. beauty. This is an old-fashioned orangina <laughs> bottle. <laughs> 
This has been on the shelf in my bedroom since, I don't know, I was 12. I love the shape of it. I think Orangina is the best beverage that there is. And uh, per our earlier conversation, I feel like you're like a ray of sunshine. So use it as a bud vase. Put it in the recycling. I don't care what you do with it, but take it away from me. Can I tell you, I also saved an Orangina (gasps) bottle that was the shape that I got in France when I went with my family. Oh, my gosh. Um, Because it seemed like the most French thing that I could possibly imagine. Ah, That makes me so happy. Well, it's for you. Thank you. Yeah. Joanna Shaw-Flam, thanks for being on the big seat. Thanks for having me. And uh, for you listeners, um, yeah, we've got a show. Our last show in New York for a while is going to be January 8th at 8.30 p.m. at QED. Please come out. Please come out. Um, Aside from the regular show with the guests, we're going to have a party afterward in which I am going to be live body painted. And I will be bringing all kinds of collaging materials for everybody to do while they uh, drink and draw. And, um, you know, keep listening. And uh, Treasure Whip brought, brought, brought you here. Beach to it. Yeah. Follow us on uh, at the bitch seat, the underscore bitch underscore seat, uh, at Phil Cassell, at Lissy is a person. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Bye. Bye. Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate them. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me t- let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. They scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one I, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? Haddonfield's first burlesque <laughs> club. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The la- Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!